Paper Moon Radio Theatre presents Village Wooing by George Bernard Shaw. Second Conversation village shop and post office on the Wiltshire Downs on a fine summer morning. Three, nine. Sorry, no such number. Whom do you want? Dr Biles? One, five. You are through. I want a packet of milk chocolate. Thanks very much. A couple much. of hard apples. Uh, thanks very much. A quarter of a pound of cheddar cheese. Thanks very much. Don't interrupt me. You can express your gratitude for the order when I've finished. A quarter of a pound of your best butter, a small ho- loaf of hovis, and tuppenny worth of sugared almonds. Anything else? No, thank you. Thanks very much. Do you sell baskets? We sell everything. Hadn't you better have a string bag? It's handier, and it packs away almost to nothing when it's empty. What is a string bag? Show me one. This is the cheapest. Or would you like a better quality with a zip fastening? Certainly not. I should have the trouble of opening and shutting it and the worry of wondering whether it would open or shut with no compensatory advantage whatever. It's just like you. You're not a bit changed. What do you mean? I've been in this shop for less than two minutes. Why should I have changed in that time? Excuse me. I shouldn't have mentioned it. Will you take the string bag? Yes. Thanks very much. Shall I put the rest of the order into it? Of course. What else do you suppose I'm buying it for? Have you any buttermilk? Sorry, we don't stock it. Any ginger beer? Yes. We have a very good local brew. Shove a bottle into the string bag. Thanks very much. How many times a day do you say thanks very much? Depends on the number of orders. Don't say it to me again, if you don't mind. It it gets on my nerves. It used to get on mine at first, but I'm used to it. Have you a guidebook of this village? Sorry. There's a leaflet in the church written by the vicar. You are expected to put tuppence in the box for it. Excuse me. But the chocolates are tuppence, sixpence and a shilling. Which size would you run for? It is a poor heart that never rejoices. (laughs) I will have a shilling one. Thanks very much. Don't. Excuse me, I can't help it. I say it without thinking. Same as if you touched a button. Someone has touched a button. What number, please? Whitehall? One, two, one, two... I will ring you. Whitehall 1212, yes. That's a police call. You need not point the information at me. I am not the criminal. Oh, it isn't a criminal. Somebody that's been broadcasted on the wireless is lost. You know the sort of thing. Missing from his home since January the 1st. Last seen in a deck chair on the Empress of Patagonia talking to a female. Suffering from loss of memory. How... how... How extraordinary. Excuse me. You are through to Whitehall. You have hit on an extraordinary coincidence. I wonder whether you will believe me when I tell you that in January last, 
I was sitting on the deck of a ship named the Empress of Patagonia, and that I was talking to a female. Or rather, she was talking to me. How that woman did talk. And are you suffering from loss of memory? Certainly not. I never forget anything. Oh, then it can't be you, can it? There. Can it? That woman always finished up with a can it, won't it, isn't it? So that you had to answer her out of common politeness. Take care never to pick up that trick or you will be murdered some day. Some people are like that. It often goes with orange-coloured eyes. Did you notice the colour of her eyes? No, I never notice things like that. I'm not a detective. It is people's characters that impress me. I can't tell you the colour of her hair or the shape of her nose, but I can tell you that she was a most fearful nuisance. Yeah, how much does all that come to? The string bag sixpence, chocolates a shilling, one and sixpence. The ginger beer is... Spare me the details. Will ten shillings cover it? Oh, yes, of course. You shouldn't be so careless about money. Cease preaching. Take it and give me the change. Let me see. Eighteen pence and four pence for the ginger beer is one and ten pence, isn't it? Have I denied it? Cheese threepence, two and a penny. Butter sixpence, two and sevenpence. Apples we sell by the pound. Hadn't you better have a pound? How many to the pound? Three. I cannot eat more than two apples at a time. Charge me for a pound and eat the odd one yourself. Oh, well. Say threepence for two. That's two and tenpence, isn't it? I don't know. Hovis tuppence halfpenny, three shillings and a halfpenny. Do you happen to have a halfpenny to save having to take a fivepence halfpenny in coppers? I hate halfpennies. I always throw them away. Oh, oh stop. I have one here. Thanks very much. Three, four, five, seven and six, ten. Thanks very much. Um, don't you find it rather dull in this village shop saying thanks very much all day? Well, no matter where you are, you are doing the same thing all day and every day, aren't you? The only way to get it off your mind is to live in the same place and stick at the same job. Then you never have to think about it. That's the way people live here, and they live for ever so long. Eighty's no age here. Grandfather will be a 102 in August. That's because he's never had to worry about what he'll do or where he'll go. He just imagines and imagines. It's the only way to be happy and long-lived. But, but if your imagination has only one village in it, it must be pretty bare. How would you like to live in a room with only one chair in it? Well, if you have only one seat, what more do you want than one chair? Up at the castle, there are 36 chairs of one sort or another in the big drawing room. But Lady Flopping can't flop on more than one, can she? May I suggest that you flop on that one while we talk? Thanks very much. I I'm not interrupting your work, I hope. There's nothing so maddening as to be talked to when you want to work. Talking is part of work in a village shop. Tell me, do you ever read? I used to read travels and guidebooks. We used to stock the Marco Polo series. I was mad about travelling. I had daydreams about the glory that was Greece, the grandeur that was Rome and all that flapdoodle. Flapdoodle? Well, I suppose I shouldn't call it that. But it ended up in my going to Rome and Athens. They were all right. 
but the old parts were half knocked down, and I couldn't see any glory or grandeur different to Cheltenham. I was glad to be home again. And I had so wanted to meet the Marco Polo man and walk about with him in the ruins by moonlight and hear him go on and on about them. The Marco Polo man? The milkman, the postman, the muffin man? The Marco Polo man? Some frustrated poet earning his crust by quoting scraps of verse to bring the call of the East to dreaming telephone girls. Operators. Operators don't dream. Girls. Girls of the Golden West. Did that poor devil never bring you the call of the East? I've read about it in novels and seen it on the films. They were all about moony drunkards and sheiks and the sort of girls that go dotty about them. I went right round the world to see the reality. Pretty places, of course, but the heat and the mosquitoes and the smells. Travelling just destroyed the world for me as I imagined it. Give me this village all the time. Had you no thrill when you stood somewhere where, where a poet had said, Stop, for thy tread is on an empire's dust. A guide, you mean? They take the poetry out of anything, and all the time you're thinking what you ought to give them. If you fancy empires, dust and all that sort of thing, you should meet our vicar and start him talking about our standing stones, and the barrows on the downs, and the mound. Every grain of our dust, he says, is full of history. Same everywhere, I expect. Are you married? No. Why? Have you any intentions? Don't be in a hurry. We've known each other for less than ten minutes. How much better do you think you'll know me when we've had talked for twenty years? That is profoundly true. Still, I must think it over. Nobody would ever marry if they thought it over. You've got to take your chance, no matter how long you think. You are in a hurry. Well, I am past the age at which girls marry here, though I am the pick of this village. That's because I thought all my offers over. So I've made up my mind to take the next man that asks me, provided he's reasonably suitable. Do I strike you as being reasonably suitable? Well, I think I have the sort of common sense you need to keep you straight. And you, being a widower, know what to expect from a woman. An experienced man expects the earth. How do you know that I'm a widower? You told me. Did I? When did I tell you? Never mind. You did. I have noticed you have a bad memory, but I have a very good one, so it won't matter. Steady, steady. I, I've not yet made myself liable to an action for breach of promise. Don't be afraid. I'm not that sort. We don't consider it respectable here. Should I get any money with you? Do you own the shop? No. All the money I ever had I blowed on a trip round the world. But Mrs Ward is getting too old for the business. She couldn't run it now without me. If you could afford to buy her an annuity, she'd sell it. I don't know how much annuities cost. You will find it in Whittaker's Almanac. This is rather upsetting. Somehow, I've always taken it for granted that when I married again, I'd marry a woman with money. Oh, that wouldn't suit you at all. She'd want to spend it going into society and travelling about. How could you bear that sort of life? You that never spoke to anyone on the ship and wouldn't take any part in their games and dances... When he got about that you were the Marco Polo man, the man of all our dreams, as you might say, I made a bet that I'd get you to talk to me. And I had all the trouble in the world to win it. Do you mean to say that we have met before? 
that you were on that trip around the world? Of course I do. But you never notice anything. You're always reading or writing. The world doesn't exist for you. You never looked at me, really. You are shy with strangers, aren't you? I'm absolutely certain I never spoke to any woman on that ship. If I talk to women, they always want to marry me. Well, there you are, you see. The moment I set eyes on you, I said to myself, now that's the sort of man that would suit me as a husband. I'd have said it even if you hadn't been the Marco Polo man. Love at first sight, what? Oh, no. You know, if I fell in love with a man, I'd never marry him. It could make me so miserable. But there was something about you. I don't know exactly what. But it made me feel that I could do with you in the house. And, and then I could fall in love with anyone I liked without any fear of making a fool of myself. I suppose it was because you were one of the quiet sort and don't run after women. How do you know I don't run after women? Well, if you want to know, it's because you didn't run after me. You mightn't believe it, but men do run after me. Why? Oh, how do I know? They don't know themselves. But the lot of money they spend on things they don't want, merely to come in and have a look at me and, and a word with me, you wouldn't believe. It's worth at least £20 a year to the business. I, I shouldn't call you a pretty woman. No, I'm not pretty. But what you might call desirable, don't you think? No, I don't think. May I explain? I'm a man of letters and a gentleman. I'm accustomed to associate with ladies. That means I am accustomed to speak under certain well-understood reserves, which act as a necessary protection for both parties. You are not a lady. You are a villager. But somebody has educated you, probably the church or the local authority, to a point at which you can impose on unobservant and unwary travellers. You have had finishing lessons on the telephone, which give you a distinguished articulation. You can say three, five, nine instead of three, five, nine. But you have not acquired any of the reserves. You say what you think. You announce all the plans that well-bred women conceal. You play with your cards on the table instead of keeping them where a lady should keep them up your sleeve. Well, where's the harm? Oh, no harm. Quite the contrary. But I feel rushed. What do you mean? Rushed. Rushed. Precipitated. Carried to lengths I had no intention of going to. Well, it gets you somewhere, doesn't it? Yes, but where? Here. There's no mystery about it. Here, in a good business, in a village shop, in a quiet place, with me to keep it straight and look after you. May I ask how much that expression, looking after me, includes? Let me be clear to the point... As a matter of fact, I possess a small property which I could sell for enough to purchase an annuity for old Mrs. Williams. Ward. I believe I have enough to purchase annuities for both Mrs. Ward and Mrs. Williams, as they are presumably both centenarians. But why on earth should I complicate the transaction by marrying you? I could pay you your present wages. Salary. I beg your pardon, salary. You will retain your present position as my shop girl. Shop assistant. I beg your pardon, shop assistant. You can then make your own matrimonial arrangements and leave me to make mine. Oh, I'll make my own matrimonial arrangements all right enough. You may depend on that. Excuse me, I added, 
and leave me to make mine. Can I depend on you for that also? Well, we'll see. No, you will not see. Well, what? I don't know what. I will not commit myself. We'll see. Just so. We'll see. It's a bargain, then. No, it most certainly is not a bargain. When I entered this shop half an hour ago, I had not the faintest notion of buying a village shop or marrying a village maiden or any of the things you've put into my head. Have you ever read the fable of the spider and the fly? No, but I used to sing a song called The Honeysuckle and the Bee. Oh, good morning. <laughs> you are forgetting your things. Uh, thank you. Thanks very much. No! That was Village Wooing by George Bernard Shaw. She was played by Elaine Noon. He was played by Tony Turner. <laughs>